and welcome in to another episode of the Vigilant Sports Basers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. I know it's been a few weeks. That is my bad, but you know what? I apologize for the delay, but we have several exciting things in the works, including a full-site redesign of VigilantSports.com here in the next month or two. That's something I'm working on, uh, a big project right now, and I think you guys will really appreciate it, especially when it comes to viewing the site on an iPad or an iPhone, the mobile experience, which is the most popular way for listeners and fans to consume my coverage seems to be mobile. That's the way everything's going, and, and we're going to get there. It's just going to be a little bit. Well, plenty of things have happened on the Indiana Pacers front. Training camp is still going on. We're about a week out from the NBA's regular season. Can you believe it? The summer is over, and we're almost back. Pacers, six preseason games. That's one fewer than they've traditionally played, at least in the last three, four years. Typically, they're playing seven preseason games this year, just six, and only one of those is a true home game, and that was back at Bankers Life Fieldhouse on October 6th against the Chicago Bulls. They also played down in Evansville. It's the second straight year that the Pacers played and moved one of their home games to another big-time city in the state of Indiana. Fort Wayne's the second largest city behind Indianapolis. Well, they went there last year. This year was Evansville, the third largest city in Indiana, and Evansville has a great venue, the Ford Center, uh, which was built within the last five years, and the Pacers playing the Bucks down there, that was their first NBA game in that venue. Well, we have several news items to catch you up on, first of which is a, a story I reported on the 1st of October, and that is that Eddie Gill, the former Pacer, you're going to be seeing a lot more of him throughout this upcoming NBA season. We all know Stephanie White, the former Indiana Fever coach. She's now coaching the Vanderbilt women's basketball program. So that means she leaves several of her gigs behind, including her role as a pregame and postgame analyst for Pacers games on Fox Sports Indiana. But her loss is a gain for Eddie Gill as he's going to be picking up her duties on Fox Sports Indiana. If you're not familiar with Gill, he was a journeyman spending time in various leagues, including the IBL, the ABA, the CBA, and the D-League before landing with six different NBA franchises, New Jersey, Memphis, Portland, the Pacers, of course, Seattle, and Milwaukee. I admittedly have very few interactions with Eddie Gill, so at this point, I'm going into the season and will be judging him with a clear mind, a fresh slate, and I look forward to seeing his contributions on Fox Sports Indiana. And while we're talking about Fox Sports Indiana, it's good to point out that they'll be televising 78 of the Pacers' 82 regular season games. Before they're not, they're not allowed to. TNT will broadcast those as the network has exclusive rights to those four games. That's one of the benefits of of being a partner, a big-time partner with the league. If it's on ESPN uh, and ABC, those aren't exclusive windows. But with TNT, their broadcast is an exclusive window. And there's a number, I forget what exactly it is, but... If a team has a certain amount of TNT games, then after a certain number, then the rest of their TNT broadcasts can also be picked up by the local affiliate. But that does not apply to the Indiana Pacers, who have 17 games to be shown to a national audience between TNT, ESPN, and NBA TV. As you'd expect, the usual crew is back for their third straight year paired together. Chris Denary, Quinn Buckner, 
and Jeremiah Johnson. Now, this is a big season for the Indiana Pacers franchise, Pacers Sports and Entertainment, for a number of reasons. Most importantly for them is that it's their 50th season. So all season long, it's going to be about celebrating this franchise, its heritage, its history, its ABA titles, and celebrating the individuals who have contributed oh so much to this franchise over those years. Now, what does it mean for the fans? Well, there's going to be seven different bobblehead giveaways for one. That's going to be awesome. And those six of those will be given out on the various decade games. Now, these decade games will be basically one a month, and they'll be at home. And during these home games, they're going to try to make it feel like it took place in that decade, right? So throughout it, you're going to see different signage, all kinds of music from that specific decade. Entertainment will be the same way. The Pacemate uniforms and their dances. So in the 70s, you might see a lot of disco from the Pacemates and the, their outfits and their shooting shirts that reflect that. And then, yeah, as I mentioned, their shooting shirts for each one of these decades, much like the Pacers did for their Hickory Nights. And there will be Hickory Nights again this season. And they'll wear a special shooting shirt for each decade. Now, those decade games, now they're all available. You can see them on VigilantSports.com. I'll read through them quickly and as it relates to the bobbleheads. 1960s on November 12th against Brad Stevens' Boston Celtics. That game, you'll get a bobblehead of Roger Brown. 1970s, December 10th against the Portland Trailblazers. You'll get to see Brooke Olsendam, Kevin Calabro in Indianapolis because they're part of Portland's new television crew. They made a new of their uh, broadcast team. That game, you'll get a bobblehead of Mel Daniels and George McGinnis. 1980s, January 7th against the New York Knicks. Now, I really wish New York was the team uh, that the Pacers played when they celebrated the 90s for obvious reasons, right? That's what you think about. And, of course, they're going to have a Reggie Miller bobblehead in the 1990s. For the 80s, it's going to be Chuck Person. I mentioned a little bit about the 90s. Reggie Miller bobblehead, they'll do that against the Milwaukee Bucks on February 11th. The next month, we'll be honoring the 2000s. And this is the one that created the most conversation. This is the one that many folks were talking about, continue to talk about, and it's what led to my conversation uh, online with Jermaine O'Neal, a little back and forth and a little tease here. He plans to join the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast here soon. Instead of J.O., no, it's not going to be a J.O. The 2000s, you'll get a bobblehead of Danny Granger. And then, of course, the 2010s, Paul George, April 4th against a very good Toronto team. Their matchup, the 2-7 that we saw last year in the postseason, the Pacers took it all the way to seven games. PG was terrific, but they just did not have enough firepower and came up short playing across the border. But that's fitting, Paul George. And if you can't make these special decade games, these bobbleheads, I'm told, will be sold in the Pacers gift shop. I know we're in the middle of the podcast, but just a simple reminder that if you have not already subscribed to the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast, please do so to listen to new and archived episodes of the podcast on your favorite media player, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, etc. Wherever you want to listen to this podcast, we're just about available at every single one. Also, while you're looking us up, please leave a review. Really appreciate that one. All right, with all of that out of the way, I thought we'd get into a breakdown of this roster, a discussion a little bit about Nate McMillan taking over, what he's looking into, what he's looking forward to, and what Pacer fans can expect from the team this upcoming season, opening night, October 26th, at home 
against the Dallas Mavericks. Well, the Pacers brought 19 guys to training camp. That's four above the league maximum during the regular season. Key thing with roster numbers is they just have to get down to 15 day before opening night for them to get prepared for all that and rosters to be all set. Pacers have a couple old guys on the roster, three in fact that are born in the year 1985. Who's the oldest guy on the team? By a mere 10 days, it's Al Jefferson who signed a three-year deal over the offseason, January 4th, 1985 is his birthday. Aaron Brooks, 10 days younger. He'll be the backup point guard for the Pacers this season. And Monte Ellis, he comes in third. How about the guys born in the 90s? This Pacers team has seven 90s babies. And the crazy one for me to consider is Miles Turner. Arguably the second most talented guy in the roster right now. He's a 1996 baby. Paul George, for instance... 1990. Well, it's been interesting to watch and talk with the players after training camp practices over the last three weeks now and see what their thoughts have been about what they've done, what they've been able to do, and still what more that they want to accomplish. What Nate McMillan, in his first year coaching this Pacers team, he's asking several things about this roster. He wants them to reinvent themselves. He wants guys willing to take on newer roles, to do other things, to be flexible and not stubborn in their ways or continue to do something that they've already done just because that's simply what they know or are used to. He wants them to get out of their comfort zone, try to play towards the style of play that this Indiana Pacers team is looking to do. What are they trying to do? Well, we all know. We've talked about it at great length. And first of all, that's play fast. There's going to be much less play calls. Very few, in fact, at least to this point that we've seen through the preseason. It's going to be much more get it and go. This team is the best defensive rebounding team through the preseason, and they're scoring a third best rate in the league. Now, I don't think they can keep it up. I don't think they're going to be scoring over 110 points per game throughout the regular season. But what I do think will continue will be the fast pace, the quick tempo, fewer play calls, more get it and go and get down the floor and see what you can do in under 10 seconds or less. Throughout training camp, we've seen the guys work oh so much on trying to work with a 14-second shot clock. That throws out 10 seconds that maybe a team would use to set up the offense or the time it may take for a team to break a press, for instance. Get it, 14 seconds or less to score. And for the most part, they've really impressed and done an awfully nice job In doing so, they've ended basically every practice making layups, hitting jump shots, and trying to hit as many as they can in two minutes. Two minutes is all the time they have for this drill. It works on their jump shots. It works on finishing at the rim. It works on scoring quickly but not rushing. And it works on doing it together because they have to throw a pass, get it back, throw another pass, get it back at the left high post, and then either drive it inside for the layup Or step out and shoot a jumper. Doesn't have to be a three. Maybe a free throw line type jumper. But it's one of those drills that Frank Vogel ended practices on. And so far, we've seen Nate McMillan end a lot of his practices on. Of course, they're working on free throws. You can expect that. I'll be interested to see how many free throw attempts that Paul George gets throughout the season. I think that's one area he not only wants to improve, but can mightily because I think he was averaging roughly five free throw attempts per game. 
I'd like to see him get that in eight, nine, maybe 10 free throw attempts per game. That would certainly bode well for this Indiana Pacers team. And that'd be a result, though, of him attacking, looking to create more. But maybe because they're running less sets, he's going to have to be more creative. He's going to have to be uh, more insistent on trying to get his own while also playing within the, the style that Nate McMillan is wanting. Just because they're not calling plays when they come down the floor doesn't mean the guys don't know what is expected of them or what Coach McMillan is wanting for them to do or contribute or what to look for. I thought it was uh, very interesting to hear McMillan pointed comments about how you handle a double team. Double team comes. There's nothing good that can come out of it um, by continuing to dribble to trying to split the defenders. If you see two defenders collapsing on you, get rid of it. Get it out of your hands, but do it with a decisive, crisp pass, and that could lead to easy points for this Pacers team. Some of the negatives, I'm not sure how good this defense is going to be. Under Frank Vogel, where defense was the premier thing that this team was known for, they were a top three team in defensive efficiency all throughout his five and a half seasons here. The two seasons they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, yeah, they were number one. Defense wins championships. Yeah, offense helps too, and I think we'll see that a little bit more, especially with Golden State, right? But you got to be able to defend guys. You got to be able to get stops and string together multiple stops late in close games. And the Pacers this past season, one of the things that really did them in was they ha- how they handled late game situations. It's as simple as that. This team was very bad when it came to late-game situations. During the regular season, the Pacers played 52 games that were within five points in the last five minutes. That shows you right there how important it is to manage the little things, how important it is to get things right and to be effective late into games. And so far throughout training camp, starting from day one, we've seen Coach McMillan stress the importance of the fundamentals. That means how you defend and how you play guys tough, how you make them feel you. Don't let them just go on by easily. You want to make them feel your presence, and you want to play defense tough, hard-nosed, and uh, they also will have to play more of a team defensive style, I think, this season. They have Paul George, of course, but after Paul, not a ton of great defenders. I think Miles Turner's working his way there, and that's one of the things you lose in George Hill, lengthy guy who set the tone defensively at the midcourt line with his great length and defending the opponent's point guards, of course, as they come down the floor. In addition to their defense, they're fouling way too much. I thought it was interesting. One of the drills that Coach McMillan had them do after three, four different games of putting opponents in the preseason to the foul line in excess of 30, 35, 40 attempts was something called the towel drill. Just picture putting a a Gatorade towel around your neck and holding it on your chest at both ends, just naturally, nothing nothing unusual or weird. And you're holding the towel, and then you get in a stance and having to defend. That keeps your hands locked in place. But this is a way for guys to work on their individual one-on-one defense while also keeping their hands out of the picture. They're not slapping. They're not reaching in. And those are the issues um, that we've seen with the – one of the many issues that we've seen with the Pacers defensively so far. They swipe at it. They reach in. The Pacers coaching staff sees that as an automatic foul call on their team. That's why they're working on it, and that's why they have stressed that to their team thus far. 
Throughout three weeks of training camp, the Pacers have had several injuries that they have had to deal with, monitor, and injuries or issues that have kept Pacer players out of practice, um, some for several days, some for several weeks. Let's get started with the biggest one so far has been C.J. Miles. C.J. Miles is dealing with knee soreness in his left knee. Now, this picked up after the first preseason game. That's the only preseason game that he has played to this point. That was in New Orleans against the Pelicans. He tried to come back home and match up against the Chicago Bulls, but in pregame warm-ups, he said he just didn't feel right. And so Coach McMillan and the training staff decided to hold him out and see if he'd be good for what was then the weekend when they played at Chicago. Since Miles has not played, not practiced, been limited to work with the medical staff. He has had tests and scans, but Coach McMillan was not sure which ones they were, whether that be a CT scan, an MRI, x-rays, etc. But he did have a scan, and it is the Pacer training staff's plan for CJ to get another one of those tests later this week to see if the soreness has cleared up and if anything else they were monitoring within that left knee uh, needed to clear up or improve before he could return to the basketball floor. Right now, Aaron Brooks is dealing with a sore right knee. Now, that hadn't limited him by any means in practice, at least that we've seen while the media has been allowed in. He'll be the Pacers' backup point guard this season. Then Kevin Serafin uh, has had a sore lower back in the last few days, and so he is dealing with that. Paul George, he woke up earlier last week with a little bit of an illness, a sore throat. He wasn't feeling good, and so he went to the doctor, missed a couple days of practice, got better, and now he's been at practice every single day. He's putting up shots. He's doing what you'd expect Paul George to do, so that is not of much concern. The first injury of camp, in fact, was Miles Turner. Well, he took an elbow from Alex Poitras before training camp even got started. Guys were here in Indianapolis and at Banker's Life Fieldhouse, basically everyone except for Paul George because he was at the Olympics. So, yeah, that's... That's an excuse. Most of the team was in Indy since the beginning of August. So we'll see if that pays dividends throughout this 2016-2017 schedule. Turner says he's not feeling any additional effects from that concussion and is just working to get back in game shape, get his conditioning down, his game timing, etc. After missing the first two preseason games, he did return but has been on a minutes restriction about 15 minutes over the preseason. And lastly on this podcast, I thought it'd be fun to just go down the roster and and mention a couple things about each guy that has stood out to me or maybe where I see their fit within this team. We'll go in ABC order because, well, that's what this roster that the Pacers PR gave to us at Media Day. Start with LaVoy Allen. He's a guy that's on a very favorable contract, $4 million per year. The Pacers have a team option on LaVoy for next season. He's a guy that you know what you're going to get from Lavoie every single time. He's a great offensive rebounder. I think the quote that all of us remember from Frank Vogel was, Lavoie will go get it. And that's just indicative of of Lavoie's toughness and his offensive effort to keep possessions alive and give the Pacers additional possessions because of what he can do on the offensive glass. He's going to score a couple of baskets every single game. He can do it at a great rate, over 50%. He has during the preseason, um, but he's not a guy that's going to shoot an outside shot. He's not a guy that's going to 
in today's NBA, step out 20 feet and comfortably knock down the jumper. With Lavoy Allen, he's reliable, and he's a guy that, um, from what he's done in the preseason, has earned a rotation spot currently. Right now, Nate McMillan is trending towards playing a 10-man rotation, and that's because of Lavoy Allen. Coach McMillan mentioned on media day that he was kind of focused on a nine-man rotation. He'd be willing to go to 10, but he'd really have to see something from another player. And then mention Lavoy Allen specifically, a guy that was in the rotation last season, a guy that started dozens of games last season. And so far, McMillan has been impressed with Lavoy and what he has seen from him here in the preseason. Aaron Brooks, the second oldest guy on the team, as I shared, he's dealing with right knee soreness. He's only played in two of the five preseason games. We know he's a great offensive threat. He's going to need to be at least okay when it comes to defense because the Pacers' second and third string point guards, Aaron Brooks and Joe Young, great offensive threats, great shooters. They can score in bunches. But defensively, they're not there yet. Joe Young could get there. Aaron Brooks has been a journeyman in this league. Never really getting an extended big-time contract, whether it's years or dollar amounts. He's been on a couple one-year deals with the Chicago Bulls this year. Joining the Pacers, he's on a one-year deal. He wanted to wear the number zero, but C.J. Miles already had that. So Aaron Brooks is wearing double zero for a six-foot guy. And just seeing that number, kind of weird to see anyone wear double zero. It's weird to say, right? Number double zero. It just doesn't roll off the tongue. Rakeem Christmas is an interesting guy. He's played in three of the five preseason games, limited action. He spent basically all of last season with the D-League. He appeared in one game with the Pacers. It was the regular season finale. Made both of his shots, if I recall, and he finished with a perfect percentage from the field, 100%. So that was my kind of corny joke. If you need a shooter, go to Rakeem Christmas. He was perfect from the field, last season. But no, in all seriousness, he's a guy that's got to show something. Entering his second season in the NBA. That first year is about learning what it means, what it takes to play in the NBA, type of work ethic you need, type of environment uh, that you are in, and, and what it takes to say that you can belong in this league. And we have not yet seen that from Rakeem Christmas. I don't believe his roster spot is necessarily safe because the Pacers have to get down to 15 and we can easily get down to 17-16. But that final roster spot, that's a tough one. And maybe the Pacers will make a move where they trade a guy in order to not absorb his contract because they do have 16 guys with guaranteed contracts for this upcoming season. They'll have to cut or trade at least one of those guys. The three guys that I think you would put in that conversation are Rakeem Christmas, Jeremy Evans, and on the number three spot, maybe Kevin Serafin. You could move a guy like Lavoy Allen, but very likely it'll be between Jeremy Evans, who is still not 100% after having shoulder surgery last spring, and then uh, Rakeem Christmas, who's got a lot to prove on a, a roster that has plenty of 6'9 big men. As we move down the roster, Monte Ellis is an interesting guy on this Pacers team, beginning his second season with this bunch. He has a spot in the starting lineup, and he was very reflective about himself. He was not happy with the way last season went. And to his credit, he didn't complain throughout the season. But during media day, he kind of pulled back the curtain, explained what went on 
uh, how that knee impacted him way more than we thought. He mentioned how rest uh, was incredibly important now with his lifestyle. He understood the value of sleep, which he didn't before. And, and so now he's doing all those things. And man, he just says he is feeling great. He's feeling fresh and he is ready to go. Jeremy Evans, I mentioned a little bit before. The Pacers acquired him in a, a deal with the Dallas Mavericks. More than anything, it was the Dallas Mavericks unloading his contract. And not only did the Mavericks give the Pacers about $1.3 million needed to pay for his contract, cover that contract, they threw in an extra $2 million. So purely based off that, it would seem like Evans is on the outside of that final roster spot. Not healthy, doesn't know the system, new guy, and the Pacers already have the money to cover his contract and them some. He wants to play here. It'll be interesting to see, though, if he can stick. Paul George, you all know about Paul George at this point. If everything goes well, he'll very much qualify for his fourth All-Star appearance. See if he can make it on to the first team All-NBA. Very likely the second team, I think. He's going to push to be an MVP, but I, I think ultimately he will not be able to obtain that even if he has an excellent season. Why I say that is because historically, the winner of the NBA's MVP award is on one of the top two teams in either conference. I do not foresee the Pacers finishing second. I think it's very likely that someone else takes that MVP crown, although George very well may finish top five, top three for that award. Al Jefferson is the old man, but I think he's going to do this team wonders and really school up Miles Turner with his post moves, his back-to-the-basket skills. And I can't wait to see Al Jefferson have a field day against number two bigs throughout the season. He can also play with that starting unit, although he slows it down a little bit. and He's not quite in the shape he wants to be for the regular season. And that's understandable. That's what the preseason is for, ultimately. A basketball season has become a year-round thing, but that doesn't mean you remain in game shape. That's what he's got to work on. And then also, his goal is to uh, work and school up the Pacers' other big men and shared some of that knowledge that he's learned over the last decade or so. For C.J. Miles, I thought he would have an excellent season. I thought he was going to come into the season and just play terrifically. And I say that because last season, after the first month and a half, you could see his body really wear down after sacrificing uh, himself and his body playing that four position. Not having to do so, although McMillan did mention it, perhaps in spurts. I thought Miles would be the three-point threat, the consistent three-point shooter that this Pacers team needs. I think that's one of the areas that they're really lacking is in a true three-point threat. Yeah, Paul George can hit him. Stuckey can hit him. Miles can hit him. But who can do it consistently? I don't think they have one of those guys. We'll see. The lone rookie is George Niang out of Iowa State. Pacers drafted him in the second round. And so far, at least from the beginning, I don't see him cracking the rotation in the early parts of the season. Remember last year with Miles Turner, a guy much better than George Niang, but more raw in his game. Bird hoped that Turner would be able to contribute come All-Star break. So maybe we can at least consider that for Niang. Give him several months to become acclimated, learn the NBA, handle rookie duties, and the different sites, venues, and matchups he may have in the NBA. I would expect him to make several trips up north on I-69 and playing with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. 
Glenn Robinson III is an intriguing guy. Once again, he has been impressive in the preseason. 11.6 points per game. That average is fourth on the team. He is impressed. There's no doubt about it. Shooting almost 58%, 75% from three-point range, and he's grabbing almost four and a half rebounds per game. But the challenge for Glenn will be given consistent minutes, as it appears he will get, because C.J. Miles is out for now, at least with that sore left knee. Can it translate come regular season? We saw him last preseason impressed, but GR3 couldn't continue in the regular season, and he uh, wasn't able to get consistent minutes off the bench. Kevin Serafin is a, a character. If you haven't done so already, give him a follow on your favorite social media platform. He's entertaining, funny, and he gives you access behind the scenes. He's Snapchatting from the practice court. He's Snapchatting from the locker room. He's posting an Instagram of whatever he's doing that day. I think he's posting a little too much, if anything, but it's a nice uh, glimpse on what goes on and what all responsibilities uh, an NBA player has and also what they choose to do in their free time. Serafin is a young guy. He's a guy still developing and understanding how best to utilize his talents and talking with Larry Bird about Serafin. He said, yeah, I really like the guy back during the draft, but then after the draft six years ago, my biggest question to Serafin when we brought him in for a couple days um, to see if we wanted to sign him was, what the hell happened after the draft? Because he hadn't been very good. He hadn't gotten consistent minutes. He hadn't made consistent contributions. He can knock down the mid-range jumper. He can rebound. He's very physical, arguably the most physical player on this Pacers team. We'll see where he ends up. Currently, he's out of the rotation and trying to work his way in uh, on the Pacers' depth chart, at least when it comes to the bigs. When I think of Rodney Stuckey, the first thought that comes to mind is he's at peace, that he's at peace uh, with his playing style, with his role, what he can do in this NBA. And I think that will do wonders for Stuckey, who went through so many injuries the last couple of years, specifically last year with his knee issues. And it got to a point where the medical staff advised him to take time off. If he didn't take time off, they feared that he'd have to have a big-time surgery like Marcus Gasol did with the Memphis Grizzlies. He did not have that surgery. And what he mainly did was spend this offseason resting his body. He spent at least a month resting, doing very little when it comes to basketball. It doesn't mean he was sitting on his couch you know, watching Netflix all day. But he was smart with the way he handled his body. He does yoga. He watches what he eats. He's active. Um, he's always one of the last players out on the floor. What the Pacers need from Stuckey is for him to be available and to make consistent contributions out on the court every single night. Jeff Teague, I don't think, is quite yet 100%, but he's working towards that way. He played with a patella injury last season. For much of the year, he went on social media, as I'm sure many of you saw, to complain about it. and That's why his numbers were down and, and how the Hawks really didn't make people aware of that injury. I think he's going to be a refreshing player for this team. He's going to provide them with talents and abilities that the Pacers didn't have previously. I think they will lack some with defensive pressure and defensive abilities, but I think offensively he can make up for it when he's 
looking to push the tempo. When a teammate gets a rebound and fires it to him, he can get down the floor and lay it in in you know, three seconds or less. That's what he can bring to this team. He can knock down the open jumper, uh, 40% clip. If they can get that, uh, the Pacers will be feeling very good about the pickup. He's in a contract year. So Jeff Teague has plenty to prove to himself, to the Pacers, and to Indianapolis. And I think he's really embracing being a hometown guy playing for the Pacers. As far as Miles Turner goes, I think barring injury, he could have a whale of a season. I think he could push for most improved player award. I think he could even push for an all-star knot. This kid is mighty impressive. And it's a story I'm going to get to here hopefully in the next week about his offseason, how active he was, how much he impressed GMs, scouts, reporters out with the USA Select team, and how the Pacers hope that translates and he continues to grow. Just 20 years old, and they want to see much more from Miles Turner as he's turned to as the second best player on this Pacers roster. He'll start at that five position, get some time with Thad Young, get some time with Al Jefferson, and learning from Al Jefferson can advance his knowledge for the game and help accelerate his growth curve. The other guy in that draft class last year, the 2015 draft class, was point guard Joe Young. He's more of a combo guard, guy that can really shoot it, maybe 6'2", not quite. He's an exciting guy, and, and Joe Young has really got after it all offseason. He'll be the first to tell you. Every morning I wake up, and one of the first tweets I see on my timeline is of Joe Young, on the Pacers practice court at Bankers Life Fieldhouse, beginning a workout before 5 a.m. He wants to get regular minutes with this Pacers team. He's way better than the D-League, but hadn't quite proven himself when it comes to the association. And I think he could earn regular minutes this year with the Pacers. I think Aaron Brooks will be the regular backup point guard. He's the rotation guy, but I think Joe Young could, say, get 5-10 minutes a game. What he does with that will be important. And last but not least of the core 16 guys that I'm featuring and talking about is Thaddeus Young, who the Pacers acquired in a draft day trade with the Brooklyn Nets. Young wasn't expecting to get traded, he said, but he didn't mind it because he knew the direction of the Nets. They didn't have assets. They didn't have draft picks. Their team was very young and very much a development type team. As a veteran, 10-plus years in the league, he wanted to play winning basketball, just like Jeff Teague, just like Al Jefferson. That's what intrigued them about coming to the Pacers. Now, obviously, he didn't have a choice. It was a trade, and the Pacers get him on a very favorable deal in today's salary cap environment. So Young's going to get the start at the power forward position. He's a left-hander out of Georgia Tech. He likes shooting the three, so you may see him, say, on the right wing, left open. He's a perfect stretch four, I think, in today's climate. I think not only is he going to enjoy himself playing with several all-stars, playing on a very talented team, a team pushing for a top two, three, four spot in the Eastern Conference, but he's also going to like how he's utilized. He likes running. He can step out and shoot the three. He can shoot the mid-range jumper. He's a quality, underrated stretch four, in my opinion. And now as far as the Pacers coaching staff, Nate McMillan obviously takes over for Frank Vogel. Dan Burke, he's been with the franchise since 1997. Well-respected across the NBA. The Pacers are fortunate that they've been able to get him to remain on various staff since 1997 when he came on with Larry Bird, Popeye Jones. The big man's coach is back for yet another year. And the new assistant is Bill Baino. 
the new position that they added for the first time is they have a player development coach, and that's David McClure out of Duke University. Now, I don't want to go on much longer because I know it's already a long podcast, making up for missed time. Spent time uh, redesigning the website, adding more contributors, uh, adding other exciting things not only to the podcast and to VigilantSports.com that I think you will like and truly appreciate. Maybe later on in the next podcast, I'll make some predictions. Those that follow me know I'm not much of a prediction guy, but I know you guys like them. I know fans really like to consume them, and it is a discussion starter. I think this Indiana Pacers team will be very good. I think they have a chance to go as high as two or three in the Eastern Conference and will most likely end up in the four or five spot in the Eastern Conference. I think there will be a a learning curve, both for Coach McMillan back in the the hot seat and the primary seat, although he mentioned how he tried sitting during some preseason games and he just couldn't do it. He's a stander, and so he'll remain standing throughout most of the games. The team will have a growth curve, especially because they could have as many as six, as many as seven new guys on the roster this season to work in and get comfortable with, learn each other's tendencies, etc. Well, my shout-outs for this week go to individuals with new gigs or promotions within the organization. Jared Simpson, former intern, assistant video coordinator with the team, he's continuing to follow his dreams. He got a promotion within the organization, but it's one that takes him to a new city. He has gone to Fort Wayne and joined Steve Ganzi's staff as an assistant coach with the D-League team, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. Coming in to replace him is another tall guy, Jared Bartley. Former Division I basketball player, he comes in as the assistant video coordinator and he'll trade off with the other assistant video coordinator, Ben, about who goes on various road trips. And another shout-out goes to Drew Anthrop, another former intern, former video assistant, who, as I also reported, got a new job. He's now down in Orlando, hired on by Frank Vogel as the special assistant to the head coach. So congratulations to all of them. Well, that'll just about do it for this mega podcast. Longer than I would have liked and maybe longer than you have liked. But if you've made it to this point, you're hearing me say this, I appreciate you making it all the way through. This has been another episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'll talk to you again next week.